spiked along the Euphrates River roughly around 2018. This had led the victims to suspect that jinn are at fault. One spiritual healer who has been confronting the supernatural head-on disclosed in an interview a terrifying revelation. He stated that a staggering 8 million jinn roamed the Euphrates area with the assistance of 150,000 human sorcerers leading them. Therefore, if what this healer says is true, the residents of the Euphrates region are facing a prelude to a full-scale invasion. But, an invasion from where? These ancient civilizations along the Euphrates River wielded significant power and amassed great wealth. Their enduring legacies encompassed a wealth of art and literature. Though legend also tells of the wielding of Lovecraftian artifacts imbued with dark magic that they used to enforce their power. However, in a bid to safeguard the world against such evil, it is said that God submerged the civilizations deep within the depth of the Euphrates River. Forever containing their evil within its sediments. Hence, religious or not, the Euphrates River holds profound historical importance as it is known as the Great River in both Hebrew and Christian scriptures. Its waters were believed to originate from the gardens of Eden, setting the stage for numerous pivotal biblical events alongside its banks. Furthermore, 
In ancient times, the Euphrates River served as a national boundary, separating the east from the west, acting as a protective barrier alongside the Mediterranean Sea, from the vast deserts to the southeast. This river is imbued with spiritual and physical significance, shaping the biblical narratives that have, in turn, shaped human history, as the river was once home to some of the world's earliest civilizations. Around 5,000 years ago, the Sumerians, credited with the creation of the world's first irrigation systems, established the initial settlements along the banks of the Euphrates River, but also crafted a sophisticated society deeply in agriculture and trade. Subsequently, the Akkadians entered the stage, followed by the Babylonians. The latter were renowned for their groundbreaking contributions to mathematics and astronomy. A government report in 2021 warned that the Euphrates River could run dry by 2040 due to declining water levels and droughts driven by climate change. According to both local and American scientists, a total collapse of the river system would significantly impact millions of people across Turkey, Syria and Iraq who rely on the Tigris Euphrates for water, effectively turning the river dry. However, according to some, this natural geological event could be the herald for a supernatural event of significant importance to occur. In late 2022, social media was flooded with reports concerning unexplainable noises emerging from the Euphrates itself between November and December of that year. A number of users took to TikTok and YouTube stating that definitive evidence of an anomalous location had been recorded on video via sounds of terrifying disembodied voices emerging from formerly submerged caves. These sounds, according to the user's claim, allegedly correspond directly to biblical prophecies concerning the emergence of a paranormal force in the guise of powerful demons who will wreak havoc across the globe as part of an event called the Seven Bowls of Judgment. The Seven Bowls, also known as the Seven Last Plates, are a series of catastrophic events described in the Biblical Book of Revelation. When each of these seven bowls is poured out by seven angels, they bring about various forms of divine punishment upon the earth. According to the narrative, the sixth bowl will see the Euphrates River dry up heralding the arrival of demons that play a role in gathering the kings of the world for a final global conflict between good and evil. While some believers think the noises emanating from these caves could be from these entities, other believers question the video's authenticity and validity, noting that A. It's from TikTok, a famous app known for promoting nonsense, and more seriously, B. The seven pourings from these bowls are understood to happen in the sequential order written in Revelations. For example, before the emergence of these demons, 
The first five bulls would see an outbreak of horrible sores upon the global population. In addition to the disappearances of all sea life, neither of these things have occurred. Regardless, that does not mean that the river as it stands today in the 21st century has not been home to a range of anomalous occurrences that can have a significantly profound impact on the rest of the world. Both local and regional authorities where the river runs through have referenced the surge in reports concerning unexplainable events amongst the locals of the Euphrates. In the previous episode, we delved into the detail of the poltergeist activity in Turkey, the Mediterranean, and the Gulf, spanning from the mid-2000s to early 2021. In some cases, objects would mysteriously be displaced, but in all events, untraceable fires would occur. These manifestations eventually became so disruptive that Turkish authorities in particular launched a full-scale inquiry into the phenomena. This action was prompted after a government employee, a cameraman, felt his clothing ignite while filming at a location where one anomaly was known to occur. To watch the episode, check the description box below. Now, similar instances of poltergeist activity suddenly spiked along the Euphrates River roughly around 2018. This occurred in a region known as Syria's Deir Ezzur. Here, a dramatic increase in the number of reports concerning stolen items were made to local authorities. What made these thefts unusual is that the stolen items would not remain stolen. They were often found by their owners or neighbors in increasingly bizarre and unexpected places, such as toilets, animal shelters, and abandoned sites. Whoever is taking these items, many of which are extremely valuable, seems to have no interest in keeping them. Often, when these objects are retrieved, they're found with unusual burn marks on them, reminiscent of the Turkish fire anomalies. This had led the victims to suspect that jinn are at fault. These are an invisible race of human-like entities made from fire. They're not demons, but it is understood that they exist in a parallel realm to our own, secured by a veil that prevents them from directly interacting with humans, although not completely. One individual recounts a family member losing $4,000 in Syrian currency. With the help of a spiritual healer, he communicated with a jinn who pinpointed the stolen money's location. But this isn't the strangest part of the story. According to Just Press, a Franco-Arab news outlet that conducted an in-depth investigation into the phenomena, one spiritual healer, who has been confronting the supernatural head-on, disclosed in an interview a terrifying revelation. He stated that a staggering 8 million jinn roamed the Euphrates area with the assistance of 100,000 human sorcerers leading them. Because it's difficult for humans and jinn to interact with each other, magic is often employed to bridge our worlds. Therefore, if what this healer says is true, the residents of the Euphrates region are not dealing with a handful of mischievous entity playing hide-and-seek with their valuables. Instead, they seem to be facing a prelude to a full-scale invasion. But, an invasion from where?
If you've made it this far into this episode, the most obvious answer for some of you. In Albion, no matter where you go or what you do, you're mouth might be consistent with the prophecy of the seven bowls of judgment. However, an alternative perspective on this prophetic narrative replaces the extra-dimensional with the extra-terrestrial. Several episodes ago, we discussed the exopolitics think tank and their theory that the entire Mesopotamian region, from modern-day Kuwait to Turkey and Iran, was once home to a technologically advanced society of humans who gained their knowledge from actual aliens. These aliens were so scientifically advanced that ancient humans viewed them and their technology as literal supernatural forces. According to this theory, could these advanced beings or their technology still exist today? Well, one popular theory on this matter is the Stargate Hypothesis, where ancient Sumerian beings apparently possessed gateways that could instantly transport them from planet to planet, or even to extra-dimensional locations. In a recent episode concerning a highly secretive archaeological dig beneath an abandoned villa nicknamed the Red House in Tarsus, Turkey, we discussed the theories of Haluk Uzdin, a central figure in the investigation who boldly claims that the Turkish government had discovered one of these gateways deep beneath the house. In 2016, they spent an entire year investigating the anomaly. Ozdil states that the technology for this gateway is alien in origin, brought it to the country from Austria during the 1930s. However, other theorists suggest that there are a number of these gateways not only across Turkey, but also in the wider Middle East and Latin America. Aligned with this theory, the author and journalist Richard Levitin asserts that there are a total of 49 incomplete stargates in the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley alone. Another researcher, Elizabeth Beck, suggests that a potentially complete stargate exists beneath the Mesopotamian city of Eridu near the Euphrates. And of course, she and similar theorists believe that all of our modern religious understanding of the supernatural stems from the way ancient civilizations misunderstood the technologically advanced races they allegedly encountered hundreds of thousands of years ago. However, according to the investigation done by Just Suppression, a spiritual healer who revealed an 8 million strong army of jinn exists in and around the Euphrates are neither alien in origin, nor are they consistent with a biblical text. Instead, he states that they're simply a force of jinn dispatched from the Shamea region across the Euphrates River by a foreign political power. Now, while the concept of this 8 million strong invisible army doing nothing more than moving household objects around sounds more than a bit silly, residents of the area wholeheartedly believe that they've directly seen and even interacted with these beings. For clarification, a local exorcist interviewed by the publication asserts that this demonic force present in Syria work on a strategy that is less aggressive and more psychological. They deal with the intent of causing societal conflict. 
prompting neighbors to turn against each other. He explains, for example, the jinn takes what belongs to you and places it on your neighbor's property to be found at a later date, causing distrust and drama. More disturbingly, the exorcist speaks of a growing anomalous influence on the young of the region. Here, he gives an example involving a family where a very young child unusually speaks in strong Damascus accent, the Shami dialect, without ever having traveled to Damascus. Upon performing Rukhya on the child, the jinn, speaking directly through the infant, claimed that it was born in Damascus, many kilometers away from where the child it was possessing was actually born. And according to the healer, many people from the region now also speak in this accent without having been to the city, indicating to him that the phenomena is just one of many symptoms of the paranormal manifesting near the Euphrates. In conclusion, it's important to note that a number of Syrian and Iraqi sociologists who are actively studying this spike in supernatural reports have been keen to note that from as recently as the 1980s, illegal antiquities traders had been aggressively co-opting local folklore as a cover to disguise from residents their activities, using superstition to keep people from looking too deeply into their crimes. As a consequence, the last 30 years, has seen these stories grow from rumor to what many believe is reality. While this is the likeliest explanation for many instances of the paranormal, actual eyewitness testimonies to supernatural events still exist, and it's these testimonies that are growing in frequency. From the cries of demons from once submerged caves to the rise in poltergeist manifestation, what do you think could be the cause? psychology, biblical demons, cosmic entities, an army of jinn, or a complicated combination of all four theories. Leave your opinion below. Make sure you're still subscribed. Please. But residents across Turkey have complained to local authorities that some type of invisible force made from pure heat is attacking them. Tradition suggests possibility that one specific type of entity, typically associated with a type of fire, and that is translated with poisonous wind in English, may be at fault. This species of jinn, or individual jinn, appears in pre-Islamic, Islamic, and even Jewish Old Testament lore, and is considered deadly. Every year, thousands of people across the world, from the Middle East to America, have claimed to have experienced a traumatic paranormal event where they and their families have struggled to get grips with an unexplainable phenomenon. Usually, they're dismissed as hoaxers or highly delusional and left to cope by themselves. But what happens when the government decides to get involved and take these events very seriously? The year was 2012, and Zeki Toprak a humble street vendor from the town of Siirt in Turkey began to notice small odd occurrences manifesting around his home. At first, him, his wife, and four children would routinely lose small objects like items of clothing, remote controls, mobile phones, etc., only for them to be found in places where they should not be. 
while what initially appearing to be nothing more than a series of harmless pranks pulled by the Zaki's young children quickly developed into an international media circus where the Turkish government itself opened an official investigation to solve what would become one of the country's deadliest paranormal mysteries to date. A year earlier, in 2011, and thousands of kilometers away, Ibrahim al-Dusubi, a 61-year-old Egyptian man, stumbled out of his Kuwait city apartment block, totally engulfed in flames, where he collapsed and was rushed to the hospital. His neighbors say that they heard a huge bang that shook the entire building with a force so strong that his front door was blown clean off its hinges and flung into the opposite apartment. However, when the civil defense units arrived at the scene, they could not find the source of the explosion, nor even any burn marks. Somehow, the Dusui had managed to survive bursting into flames while not leaving a trace of fire behind. But what connects this one event to a series of anomalous occurrences that would plague the family of Zeki Tuprak hundreds of miles away in Turkey a year later? Well, it was part of a string of unexplained events that impacted families across Turkey, Italy, Egypt and Kuwait from 2011 to 2021. Occurrences that suggested that the cause of these anomalies were not only supernatural, but extremely aggressive. The year was 2021, and as the world was trying to get grips with a global event that was, and for some still is, unprecedented in nature, for one Turkish family in Kastamun, northern Turkey, a smaller but deadlier mystery was unfolding. Over a period of two weeks, a series of small fires would erupt in the vicinity of their two-story house and a barn next to it. According to Turkey's Ihlas News Agency, the fact that fires broke out in areas without installed electricity led to the family to believe that the source of these instances are paranormal in nature. Unfortunately, this event is just one of several that seems to be targeting poor and working class families across the country. While many of these cases allude to human causes done for either fame or financial compensation, many remains completely unexplainable. The most famous example of this phenomenon began back in early 2012 and concerned the Tuprak family from the town of Sirt, who we mentioned at the beginning of this episode and in a previous episode. The Tuprak family case study is unparalleled as the Turkish government felt compelled to launch a full-scale public inquiry into the phenomenon, whereupon they initially acknowledged to the international media that a hostile supernatural force was hunting one of its districts. The first odd occurrence, beginning several months before the government's involvement, was when Zeki Toprak had to call a locksmith to fix his front door that had inexplicably 
became locked while him and his family were outside. In the days and weeks that would follow, items of clothing and other subjects would disappear, only to reappear in other parts of the house or even outside of the home. And with each subsequent occurrence, there would be an escalation in the severity of the anomaly. Their washing machine would begin its spin cycles without anyone touching it, and on one occasion, when Mrs. Toprak was preparing breakfast, when she stepped into another room and returned seconds later, all of the plates had been transported from the kitchen to out into the garden where they were found neatly arranged. However, this was just the beginning. On the night of the 13th of August 2012, the family were woken up by the smell of smoke and discovered a fire in their simple three-room residence. Almost all of the family's belonging and furniture had been reduced to ashes, and from this point, various other household items would catch fire spontaneously. Although firemen quickly extinguished the numerous blazes that would spring up, they were baffled as to how it started since they had all erupted well away from readily combustible materials. Meanwhile, at school, the eldest daughter, Melek Tuprak, saw fire spontaneously erupt around her in full view of her classmates and teachers. After her coat, books, and several other items belonging to her were extinguished, her teachers searched her for any material or substance which could have caused the fires, but nothing was found. Eventually, and in the interest of safety, the family moved their bedding and other belongings into a balcony where they slept for nearly two weeks. That was until the fires even followed them outside. The local and international media, including CNN Turk, became aware of this extraordinary case when Mr. Toprak appealed for help from the Seer district governor, Ahmed Aydin, who accompanied by a Canal 56 television crew, promptly visited, interviewed the family, and inspected the damage. Although no fires erupted during this time, one cameraman felt a burning sensation beneath his feet and found that a section of the sole of his shoe had melted. This was enough for the governor to declare the problem a transcendent event, confirming for at least a while the government acknowledgement of a genuine paranormal threat. after the initial fires began, the rector of Sirt University, Professor Murad Erman, was assigned to the case to see if science could shed light on the situation, whatever their intentions were. Professor Erman had assembled a task force that included a psychiatrist, a sociologist, and several engineers who set up cameras to monitor key points throughout the house. With the assistance of the police, the family members were interviewed first red flag appeared. During the month-long investigation, where stationary cameras had already been set up throughout the home, each flare-up 
would only occur just outside of the camera's limited field of view, as if whatever was causing them were playing a game of hide-and-seek. Ultimately, it appeared as if none of the investigative team actually witnessed any of the fires erupt, even though they were present when they were burning. Consequently, over the next several months, a detailed three-page official report from government concluded that any paranormal cause for the occurrences were at best negligible. This damning report even went on to suggest that the family was hoaxing the entire phenomenon, stating that at one point, the children had been caught with cigarette lighters bought in from outside that did not belong to the parents. However, this still left some questions unanswered. First of all, the report neglected to mention that the Toprak's neighbors also witnessed the fires take place. It also failed to mention that the phenomena followed the daughter to her school, whereupon her classmates and teachers testified that they personally saw the flames magically materialize in front of them. By March 2013, over a year after the nightmare had begun, the family had already moved to six different residences, and each time the fires followed them. In the seven months since the anomaly first manifested, it was claimed that no fewer than 300 blazes had occurred around them. How the family has feared since then is unclear. However, during the midst of the media storm that had flared up around them, they made their largest move yet, to 140 kilometer away from their home, hoping for one final time that they'll be able to outrun the phenomenon. Speaking to the press, the father expressed exhaustion not only due to the strange fires haunting them, but also the public embarrassment that came from the media scrutiny and the subsequent destruction of his family's reputation, where they were now officially labeled as frauds in a government report. In the West, typically these kind of events would be classified under the category of poltergeist activity, whereupon the cause of the fires may not actually be the work of spirits, but the buildup of psychic energy related to a child about to begin adolescence. Hence, why the only documented case of the fires being recorded outside of the home happened at the daughter's school in her classroom. According to media reports, these fires never followed other individual family members to other places, except when they were together as a group. Turkey has seen a number of these types of events over the past decade, but typically, the anomaly has always been highly localized, sticking to one specific area only, like a house. Very rarely, if at all, does it follow the victims to other locations, implying that the Toprak's home was never haunted to begin with, nor was the family the actual target. The only person at risk here was the daughter, who was either an artist or the target of something anomalous. If it was the latter, then who? or what could have been targeting her. To be free and flexible and creative was... The small Egyptian village of Menasafor is under siege. 
Many of its residents believe that a paranormal entity is manifesting instances of an anomalous fire across the village, leaving entire neighborhoods on edge. Several houses have spontaneously ignited leading to villagers to blame the jinn, a non-corporeal entity from Arabian mythology. This is El Saad Shabana. His house caught fire. Local government and civil defense departments are aware of the situation and have fire engines deployed regularly to deal with the outbreaks. However, the state government authority Al-Azhar al-Sharif, an Islamic scientific body and the largest religious institution in Egypt, have ruled out any supernatural cause, concluding that the likeliest reasons for the ongoing phenomena are environmental factors. This has resulted in the villagers to take the matter into their own hands. With eyewitnesses testifying that Islamic invocations have been the best deterrent to dealing with the fires, the mosques across the area have resorted to broadcasting verses of the Quran and prayers on their loudspeakers to mitigate the damage. The primary suspects of these fires are the jinn, a human-like species invisible to the naked eye and composed of fire heavily referenced in the Islamic scripture and a core component of both Turkish and wider Middle Eastern religious folklore as real beings. The Quran states that Allah created three types of beings from three substances, humans made of earth, angels made of light, and jinn made of fire. The jinn are not necessarily evil, but also not necessarily good. Instead, they're comparable to humans having a variety of personalities and temperaments. However, two of the most feared type of jinn come under the collective category of the shaitan, which in English is comparable to demons, and the ifrit, a viciously dangerous class of shaitan. Belief in the jinn predates Islam, where in some cultures they were simply known as fire spirits. In parts of ancient Persia, they were thought to be the spirits of those who were severely mentally ill when they were alive, appearing at night and disappearing with the sunrise. Those who believed in them were called majus, meaning fire worshippers. This pre-Islamic understanding persists till this day in other parts of the Mina region, in particular amongst the Tuaraj people in the Sahara. According to their folklore, they were at one time so in tune with these spirits, they even had the ability to control them. But this is just folklore, and amongst the majority of the modern-day Tuareg and other North African and Middle Eastern communities, the jinn are not viewed as a legitimate threat that can easily be interacted with. Instead, they're considered as a part of religious dogma, with no tangible presence in everyday reality. This is because in most instances, Whenever a person believes that they may have interacted with one of these entities, a rational explanation can be found out, but not always.
2010, the Kuwaiti newspaper Al Anba published a story surrounding the terrifying haunting of a family that were victims of multiple poltergeist incidents lasting well over half a decade. The story, which was then republished by the news outlets Emirates 24-7, explained how every few weeks, at exactly the same time twice a day, a young father and wife and children would endure a strange phenomena manifesting in their suburban villa. Like clockwork, small fires would erupt at exactly 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. in various parts of their home with zero explanation. According to interviews given to the media, he and his family would often hear the cries of phantom children during the phenomenon. This was something even corroborated by the civil defense's firefighting officers who apparently also heard the cries of phantom children on several of the numerous occasions they were called to the villa. The harmless but destructive phenomena had began when they had moved into this villa back in 2004 and had occurred over 40 times over the next six years. Fortunately, a quick fix to the problem came in the form of a cassette recordings of the Holy Quran, which the father was recommended to constantly play in order to mitigate any paranormal activities from occurring in the home. Unfortunately, the cassette players would often catch light in what seemed to be an effort to stop him from exercising the home. After seeking further religious help, he went on to explain that an imam confirmed that the house was indeed haunted by the jinn. But these specific spirits were not intentionally being malicious nor wanted to harm them. They were just disturbed by the human presence in their home and wanted them gone. So eventually, the family relocated to another villa and the phenomena ceased, leaving nothing behind but confused firemen and personnel from the criminal evidences department failing to rationally identify the causes of the blazes. Ben daha önce böyle bir şeylerle karşılaşmadım yani ilk defa burada karşılaştım yani böyle bir şey ben hayatımda görmemiştim yani hafat geldi gaz ölçümü falan yaptılar gaz ölçümü yok köy genelinde zaten ev halkına yani yanan evlerin halkı için uyku falan yok yani onlar gece gündüz yatamıyorlar köy halkı için de yani psikolojik yani çocuktan tutta 70'e yani 7'den 70'e kadar Bizim psikolojimiz hepsi bozulmuş. For this specific type of encounter, where residents across Turkey have complained to local authorities that some type of invisible force made from pure heat is attacking them, tradition suggests the possibility that one specific type of entity, typically associated with a type of fire, and that is translated the poisonous wind in English may be at fault. This species of jinn or individual jinn appears in pre-Islamic, Islamic and even Jewish Old Testament lore and is considered deadly. We intentionally did not mention its original Arabic name in this video because there's always going to be that one person in the comments who will try to seek out this being as if they've never seen a horror movie in their life. Anyway, 
In the 18th century, the German theologian Johann Gottfried Eichhorn wrote about the unique attributes of this entity and why it's important to jinn and demonic lore. Eichhorn states that this being is referenced in what is known as the Three Days of Darkness of the Book of Exodus. In the Quran, Islamic scholars note similar references made to it in regards to the fires of the afterlife itself, with some even stating that it's literally the first jinn of the father of all jinn. Noting Surah 1527 from the Quran as evidence for the origin of the jinn. It is a consensus among many scholars that this reference should not be taken literally as a description of a singular entity, but instead as the chemical properties related to the fire that created them. If we're to assume that it's a singular entity that would make it one of the oldest supernatural forces recorded in history, but could this ancient being be responsible for the string of anomalous fires occurring across Turkey in the 21st century? So could this elder jinn, known as the poisonous wind, perhaps be one of the jinn kings itself? In earlier episodes, we have briefly covered the attributes and domains of these immensely powerful entities, and his powers certainly match at least one of them. However, what is less known is how long they can live for, how much of our understanding of them is only folklore and fantasy, and what their current statuses are today in the 21st century. Nitro Circus is ready to The 9th century Persian scholar Altabari and several other medieval scholars have offered many interpretations for the nature of this ancient being, bouncing between a metaphorical one, where it's nothing more than anthropomorphization of naturally occurring fire that we see in nature, such as the sun, to an interpretation where it's considered an actual sentient being. For example, concerning the former, the cosmographics from the medieval ages of Islam usually depicted the sun setting on the gates of hell itself, deriving its heat from the fires of hell. Outside of the Islamic tradition, the concept of the jinn has a rich and varied history in North Africa and the Middle East. Prior to the advent of Islam, different cultures in the region held their own beliefs and mythologies regarding supernatural beings that share similarities with the concepts of jinn. Historians say that these beliefs were influenced by a blend of ancient civilizations, folklore, and local traditions. For example, in pre-Islamic Arabian beliefs, Arabian tribes held diverse beliefs about supernatural entities. It's within pre-Islamic Arabia where we could possibly get an understanding of this specific type of aggressive entity that earned it the name the poisonous wind. Within pre-Islamic poetry and literature, these beings were portrayed as spirits dwelling in deserts, abandoned places, and ruins. Like in later regional traditions, some were considered evil, while others were considered protectors of natural places like mountains, springs, and trees. 
However, its name when referenced was typically associated with something dangerous, manifesting in nature as a whirlwind made from heat. This takes us back to 2021 and the Dadili family case study. In a manner similar to the Tuprak family manifestations a decade earlier, an investigation was launched by the Dadili's district authorities. The Kastamunu chief public prosecutor office was eager to get to the bottom of this mystery before it potentially descended into a media circus involving local politicians like before. According to press reports under the instructions of the Kastamunu Chief Public Prosecutor's Office, several teams affiliated with the Kastamunu Provincial Gendarmerie Command were assigned to the Dili home where the phenomena would manifest. The Chief Public Prosecutor's Office issued a press release to the media stating that this latest supernatural manifestation had a rational explanation. The office stated that as a result of the extensive meticulous research carried out by the teams, it was determined that the fires were started by a member of the Dadili family living at home to create a mysterious situation. While it may appear that this one particular case study seemingly had a rational explanation, what about the numerous other anomalies erupting across the country and even around the world that have no rational explanation? In the Kuwaiti case study, at the beginning of the episode, where the press reported on the individual whose spontaneous combustion was so powerful that its shockwave caused extensive damage to his and the neighboring apartments while leaving no trace of a fire behind. According to some experts on Middle Eastern folklore, such a phenomenon should not be classified as an example of malicious entity interacting with a human, but as a result of a human and a jinn interacting with each other out of love. How? Let me explain. In a 2022 paper, Abdullah Meher, a Quranic scholar and researcher, noted that while similar phenomena that have been recorded throughout history have been scientifically explained as occurring due to cocktail of fats, acetone, and alcohol causing the human body to ignite from within. He believes that in some cases where rational explanation is impossible to be applied, the victim may actually be the result of a union between the jinn and the human. In his detailed research of the phenomena, he coined the term spontaneous fiery human jinn combustion. Referencing multiple case studies over the past century, he concluded that the mixing of the two species can potentially create chemically unstable offspring. How scientifically or even theologically valid his conclusion are is debatable, but at the very least, it provides another perspective science has yet to form consensus on. In conclusion, while the jinn remains an accepted yet unseen part of reality, their opportunity to interact with the world of humans is rare and highly unlikely according to Islamic scholars, as there is a veil between their dimension and ours. As for the Tuprak family in Turkey, to this day, the true nature of the phenomenon remains a mystery. But what do you think? Sound off in the comments, like, and subscribe several different human and non-human civilizations. Some of these societies may be primitive and even animalistic, while others could have technology more advanced than our own. 
alternative history researchers believe that there are elements of truth to this story and have pinpointed a number of locations across the globe that can allow access to this hidden earth, including in Turkey, at all, and in multiple locations across Egypt. For hundreds of years, folk tales and travel logs told by the local Bedouin and foreign explorers in Somalia have detailed real encounters with vaguely illuminated creatures, like giants with heads made from their torsos, cyclopses, dog-headed humans, and other monstrosities. This is in addition to a string of unexplained disappearances, anomalous occurrences, and other high strangeness. It would seem that this hotto is hiding frightening secrets beneath its sands that is tens of thousands of years older than the pharaohs themselves, and that these secrets may not only be remnants of one or more ancient civilization, but also gateways to worlds beyond our own. But exactly what are these worlds? Natural or supernatural? And should we be more concerned about the creatures that come from within it? In the 5th century BC, the Persian king, Cambyses II, dispatched an army of 50,000 men from Thebes to see what oasis to threaten the Egyptian oracle of Abu, according to the writings of the Greek historian and geographer Herodotus. At some point in the journey, while crossing the western desert, every single one of them vanished without a trace. And to this day, academics and historians cannot agree as to why. Some believe that they met their ends in the Qatara depression several kilometers from Siwa, but this is just one of many enigmas to occur in this portion of the western desert. In the general area covering the dunes of Egypt and Libya, where Cambyses's men are believed to have vanished, a number of other significant disappearances have also occurred here, in addition to encounters with tribes of strange mythological and in some cases demonic-looking humans have been documented in travel journals from as recently as the 1800s. These journals have included description of entire communities of non-human people with a variety of anomalous features, the most disturbing of which being the Asifali. Encounters with these beings was first recorded 2,500 years ago in a piece of work known as the History written by Herodotus. Here, he writes of creatures with eyes in their chests, native to Libya. Later, in 45 AD, a Roman geographer named Mila wrote of a similar tribe of people in North Africa who also had their faces in their chests, a people kind of confirmed to exist by Pliny the Elder, the famed Roman statesman and scholar, who refers to them by the alternative name the Blemier. Then in the 12th century, an explorer named Firmus claimed he found a tribe of men
men without heads, who again have their eyes and mouth on their chests, and that these creatures were believed to be native to North and Northeast Africa. Decades later, the writer and explorer John Mandeville claimed to have encountered the same, and they even appear in the travel logs of the famed explorer Sir Walter Raleigh and a number of other non-fiction Today, historians assert that the Blemies were in fact a regular African tribe who formed a short-lived nomadic kingdom in northern Nubia after 600 BC. Eventually, with the advent of Islam, they became Arabized and absorbed into the wider Arab culture during the medieval period. However, as we have shown, Stories concerning these headless cryptids persisted throughout and after the medieval age, suggesting that the Nubian Blimmies had no relation to their supernatural counterparts beyond sharing the same name, a confusion not helped by the writings of Pliny the Elder. So hypothetically, if these creatures and one like them existed, and perhaps still exist, but remain hidden from the world, where could they have originated from? Within Islam, it's believed that there was a race similar to humans who came before man. Exactly what these beings were is a matter of debate. However, in some Arabic traditions, like in Yemen, they're believed to be a jinn-like species made from flesh and blood, and not too biologically different from the monsters that appear in the travel logs of Roman and later European explorers in Libya and Egypt. Some have theorized that the Asifali may have been alien, while a more rational explanation suggests that they were merely humans who suffered deliberate and severe anatomical modifications during infancy. However, a third option is that they did indeed originate from another world, but that world is beneath us and can be accessed by one or more hidden gateways within the Sahara, and those gateways may or may not be supernatural. There's a pseudo several different human and non-human civilizations. Some of these societies may be primitive and even animalistic, while others could have technology more advanced than our own. Alternative history researchers believe that there are elements of truth to this story and have gateways within the Sahara. There is a pseudoscientific idea known as energy vortices, a theoretical concept that states that there are specific areas across the planet that contain powerful concentrated sources of energy. These sources are often associated with ley lines, a globally aligned grid connecting ancient sites and megaliths that were consciously and subconsciously built by humans. This includes ancient monuments like Egypt's pyramids and the UK's Stonehenge, to even relatively modern-day sites like cathedrals large synagogues and mosques, etc., as well as other man-made and natural structures. According to the theory, where these ley lines coverage, they form these vortices, powerful energy fields that can be tapped into 
by both human and non-human entities. Presumably, where these vortices are the most powerful, they are situated over or are responsible for creating gateways to other worlds, with the country of Egypt being pinpointed as a primary gateway to travel into a realm labeled as the Hollow Earth. Generally speaking, according to this bizarre concept, the Earth's crust is only a few hundred miles thick, and inside there is a small central sun that provides light and warmth. In the previous episode, we spoke about the German effort in the 1940s to locate occult artifacts and locations that could help in their imperialistic efforts. One of these efforts concerned locating an entrance into this subterranean world via the Antarctic. Within this inner Earth, there's said to be several different human and non-human civilizations. Some of these societies may be primitive and even animalistic, while others could have technology more advanced than our own. From this gateway, a series of subterranean tunnels connecting our two worlds are said to exist. Theoretically, allow creatures like the Asifoli and other types of nightmare fuel to come to the surface. In an article for Atlantis Rising, Brad Steger writes of the legends of the Old Ones, an ancient and scientifically advanced race that populated the surface world millions of years ago and then moved underground. According to Steger, this race predate Homo sapiens by more than a million years. Then, there are the reptilians that apparently first arrived on Earth in ancient times. These immensely intelligent, shape-shifting beings are said to have been covertly interbreeding with the human population in order to gain control of the world through subtle means, obtaining positions of power and influence as part of a long-term invasion plan. Then, there's the Elder Race, which sci-fi author Richard Shaver claimed to have met. He states that this race came to Earth from another solar system in the prehistoric past, but after some time living on the surface, they moved underground, where they built huge subterranean complexes. Eventually, they left our planet, leaving behind cities populated by mutated beings. One of the most common names given to the civilization of underground dwellers is Avarta. This name is first mentioned in the biography of a Norwegian sailor named Olaf Jensen in the early 1900s. According to the writer Willis Emerson, Jensen's ship sailed through an entrance to the Earth's interior via the North Pole, and for two years he lived with the inhabitants of the Alarta colonies, who Emerson writes were full 12 feet tall and whose world was lit by a smoky central sun. According to him, the inhabitants of Agartha were driven underground by several cataclysmic events and conflicts taking place on the surface of the earth. Unsurprisingly, he was admitted to an insane asylum upon telling his family his adventure. However, today in the 21st century, alternative history researchers believe that there are elements of truth to this story and have pinpointed a number of locations across the world that can allow access to this hidden earth, including in Turkey, at all, and in multiple locations across Egypt. According to the occult researcher, Dr. James Hurtak, 
one of these entrances exists beneath the Giza Plateau itself, consisting of a gateway to a constructed tunnel 30,000 years older than the Egyptian civilization itself. Another location where one of these gateways are said to hypothetically exist is in the Qatar Depression, the world's largest sinkhole, covering 7,500 square miles near the Egyptian-Libyan border and the theoretical location for the vanishing of Cambyses II's army and numerous other unresolved disappearances. Here, the lost city of Zirzura, our alternative to the Hollow Earth concept, is also theorized to exist. According to Saharan folklore, this was a technologically advanced nation. How's the chicken? Oh, the prawns are delicious. Oh, I have a shellfish allergy. One prawn, very good. Did I say chicken wrong? Tired of people not listening to what you want? It's truffle season. Ah, that's okay. Never I... enough truffles. How much are they? It's okay. I'm good. That. It's like a priceless piece of art. Or when they sell you what they want. Yeah. With extreme amounts of treasure that either predated or ran alongside the first ancient Egyptian pharaonic dynasties, even though all traces of it have vanished till this day. It's believed that it remains enchanted, possibly hidden from the world via magic, and guarded by both the jinn and powerful black giants. And while this may sound like a fairy tale, it was also something governments in the early 1900s were investing huge amounts of money into finding. At the beginning of the 20th century, the existence and location of the city of Zipsura was taken very seriously in Western academia, with high-profile publications such as the Journal of the Royal Geographical Society, publishing several papers discussing the potential historical, economic, and political impact the discovery of the city could have on Africa and the Mediterranean. In 1934, the society even published a paper that directly connects this lost city, said to be guarded by the jinn and giants to not only the Qatara depression, but also the mysterious disappearances of those 50,000 Persian men belonging to King Cambyses. According to the geographers Hubert Pinneter and Richard A. Berman, this evidence can be found in Egypt and Libya's Jilf Kabir, a location that is also famous for being home to the Cave of Monsters, locally known as Kahfufuchi where 7,000-year-old drawings, including that of strange entities, can be found. Some of these entities match the description of the creature travelers claim to have encountered in later centuries. So, could the lost city of Zerzula be home to these monsters? Writing for Saudi Aramco World in 2002, the journalist Robert Byrd states that the oldest records of a location with this name is found in a document dating to the mid-13th century, written by the Emir Osman al-Nabuzi, regional administrator of the Fayyum government. However, the most important reference point for this city can be found in the legendary 15th century grimoire, Kitab al-Kunus, or the Book of Treasures. This book that contains over 400 sites in Egypt that hold hidden treasures and details the incantations and spells needed to ward off the jinn that guard these treasures, describes the Zura as a white gleaming metropolis and advanced civilization.
that is as beautiful as it is deadly, filled with great wealth that has now since been abandoned. The book advises any treasure hunters and tomb raiders who manage to get past the guarding jinn to also be wary of the giants who guard the city as a whole. While the origins of the story is unclear, Herodotus speak of a legend known as the city of Dionysus that is also lost in the desert sands. Some historians say that Dionysus and Zephyra are the same place. However, the story is believed to have originated in the folklore of the Teotic people, a nomadic tribe that has roamed the Sahara for centuries. These nomads believe that the Zephyra was a place of great wealth and power, and that only the pure of heart could find and enter it. Eventually, Zerzura was destroyed and lost beneath the sands. Some versions of the legend suggest that it all fell due to a natural disaster, while others believe that it was cursed by ancient Egyptian gods. But what if there was a third option, that being the aforementioned cataclysmic conflict referenced in the Agartha myth? In 1932, Patrick Clayton discovered a geological anomaly where an unusual type of glass had been formed across the Sat Plateau in Egypt. This glass was used in royal Egyptian jewelry and was later found to be older than the earliest Egyptian civilization. Some scientists have proposed that the likeliest cause of this glass came from the meteorites exploding in the atmosphere, causing glass rocks to explode several miles above the surface of Earth. However, Others have suggested that it was one of many atomic blasts across the Sahara, evidence of which can be found in the Dodara Temple complex in Egypt, which has stone steps that appear to be inexplicably melted. Mythical texts spanning from Western Asia to South Asia independently tell stories of a large-scale conflicts that have had devastating impacts on their people and the environment in a manner that seemed eerily similar to what modern days changes using atomic weapons would look like. Did that conflict contribute in turning the Sahara from green to desert? Well, that's a topic for another episode. In conclusion, even though science is just beginning to scratch the surface, pun intended, with a 2014 study demonstrating that a large ocean may have existed below the Earth's crust, what about the more fantastical elements of this belief? Could those gateways to those worlds where strange beings are said to exist be extra-dimensional, existing on another plane of reality? There are anecdotal stories concerning visitors who have entered this realm, being displaced in time, emerging years later. If these are true, then maybe one day we'll see the return of Cambyses II's army in the modern age. But in all seriousness, what do you think? Leave your comment below and share your opinion. Thanks for watching. Do the usual like, share. East of Persia, there is a demon who is sometimes depicted as being made of sand and possessing the power to control the winds of the desert. While on the other side of Persia, in Arabian folklore, there is an entity that is roughly translated as the Sand Runner of Sand Traveler. This is a type of malicious spirit that takes the form of a living sand dune and can move and change shape at will.
could this have been the same creature the Russian officials were now secretly aware of and viewed as a genuine threat? What connects Alexander the Great, Prophet Suleiman, and the Allied incursion into Iran in 1941? The Rigijin Desert, otherwise known as the Dune of the Jinn. Nicknamed the Bermuda Triangle of the Middle East, this desert is one of the most mysterious yet hostile environments on the planet. In the 1930s, the Austrian geographer Alphonse Gabriel became one of the first explorers to survive traveling across the outer edges of its interior. Then between 1997 and 2005, the Iranian geographer Ali Parsha managed to map large portions of its uncharted areas, seemingly dispelling old Persian myths concerning an extra-dimensional gateway existing at its core, guarded by terrifying eldritch-type creatures. Yet. Despite a growing tourism industry in the 21st century, based in and around the more accessible areas, large parts of the Rigijin remains avoided. Because of this, some nomads still speak of terrifying ancient threats that exists within it. From the time of Alexander the Great to the modern age, this threat may not only be a relic from ancient folklore, but something the Russian government might have encountered in the 1940s and have endeavored to keep it hidden from the world ever since. At over 3,800 square kilometers and at the center of the Desht Quir, Iran's principal desert, the Rigijin has a history of paranormal folklore going back centuries. Due to the high frequency of disappearances that have happened here over centuries, the area has developed a feared reputation. Some of its most famous naturally occurring anomalies includes the way the wind that flows through this area often howls like a spirit, and how the stones 30 kilometers from its center have been observed to cry like humans. Even the nomads speak of how their camels refuse to enter this area, and if they do, they'll not stop walking until they've reached its outer edges. While each of these anomalies have a reasonable scientific explanation, the Russian paranormal researcher Paul Stonehill recently shared a remarkable story from the 1940s that goes beyond all possible logic. Stonehill states that sometime after the Soviets made deep incursions into Iran prior to their 1941 offensive, a Russian surgeon, simply referred to as Nikolai, had written about a strange experience he and his team endured while performing a reconnaissance exercise in the Dasht Kawir. During this mission, after their armed vehicle became stranded, they encountered a very large area of sand 
moving across the desert floor in an unusual manner. According to Nikolai, this mass composed of what looked like millions of sand particles appeared to be alive and exhibiting a basic level of intelligence. Initially, not viewing it as a threat, one of the soldiers allowed it to swarm around him, whereupon it completely consumed him, leaving nothing behind except the inorganic items he had on his clothing. Quickly, the remaining officers secured themselves within their vehicle so they could not only protect themselves from what seemed like supernatural sand, but also from an approaching natural dust storm. Unfortunately, once the storm had passed, Nikolai and a surviving officer remained trapped in their vehicle for several days, since attempts to leave would always result in the sand entity approaching them. Shooting it had no effect, so they had no choice but to wait for their comrades to find them. Interestingly, Nikolai noted that while its form appeared to be made up of tiny grains of sand, its mass was a lot more cohesive than it initially appeared, suggesting that it was one single organism and not a multitude of millions acting in unison. This detail is important, and we'll discuss its significance shortly. According to Stonehill, when help eventually arrived, Nikolai immediately lied to the rescue team before they reached his vehicle, stating that the whole area was covered in mines making it unsafe for them to casually step into the sand. He did this to ensure that the entity would not attack them also. Fortunately, the men were rescued without further incident, but this was just the beginning of their problems. The debriefing process that took several days saw the two survivors immediately separated, and Nikolai fully admit that they were not trapped by mines but by the living sand. As expected, he was not believed, at least officially. After being continually questioned, eventually he realized his reputation was being damaged and the only way he could salvage his career would be to say that their encounter with the anomaly was merely a hallucination brought on by the stress of being stranded. However, before he was sent in a new assignment, senior official confided in him off the record that their superiors actually believed his initial story about flesh-eating sand. However, fearing any future negative repercussions, Nikolai maintained the narrative that he hallucinated the whole experience. To listen to a detailed breakdown of the incident, after you've watched this episode, go to the description box where you'll find a link to Paul Stonehill's channel. Anyway, so assuming this encounter was real, what was this entity that attacked them? Jin stories that have been told, both historically and in the modern day across the MENA region. Accounts where creatures behave in the manner that the Soviets allegedly encountered in the 1940s are so rare, it's almost practically unheard of, but not completely. 
one of the earliest known anomalous instances to have manifested itself in the Regajina and wider Dashtakawida desert, is estimated to have occurred several hundred years ago and is a story that has been transmitted to each generation of the Bedouins living there. Here, the son of one of the residents of the villages on the outskirts of the Dashtakawir decided to enter the Regajena arena for walking and recreation, but after a few days, he was not heard from. Days later, more disappearances occurred, including camels, and from here, the folklore of the area was born warning all travelers to stay away from the area unless they want to be taken by the jinn. At least, this is the story according to some traditions. So, if it was the jinn, what kind have the ability to turn into sand? In India's Hindu mythology, situated to the southeast of Persia, there is a demon who is sometimes depicted as being made of sand and possessing the power to control the winds of the desert. While on the other side of Persia, in Arabian folklore, there is an entity that is roughly translated as the sand runner or sand traveler. This is a type of malicious spirit that takes the form of a living sand dune and can move and change shape at will. In one story, a Bedouin traveler sets up camp for the night and is suddenly surrounded by a sandstorm. In the morning, he discovers that the sand around him has come alive and taken the form of the sand walker, which is threatening to swallow him whole. In another story, a group of nomads crossing the desert notice that a sand dune that seemed to be following them. When they realize it's the sand walker, they have to find a way to outwit the entity before it catches up to them. According to legend, this is a dangerous and malevolent creature that can cause harm to all who cross its path, swallowing them whole or draining the life force out of its victim. Our third option is the Div or Div, which is a type of demon or evil spirit in Iranian folklore. The Div is basically your classical jinn that is often depicted as a shapeshifter that can take on many different forms including that of sand or dust. It's said to torment travelers, cause them harm, and even possess them. In addition to its malevolent nature, it's also often depicted as having a certain degree of cunning, wit, and intelligence. In some tales, the hearers have to outwit the deaf, not only just using their strength, but also their minds. While it's obvious that this level of intelligence was not evident in the Soviet's encounter, could this have been the same creature the Russian officials were now secretly aware of and viewed as a genuine threat? Well, an alternative theory suggests that it could possibly be a weapon, making it technological and not supernatural. Persian folklore, there are oral traditions that state that at the center of the Rigijin, a gateway to an extra-dimensional paradise exists. Those who successfully find it will also find great wealth. Although local historians have since debunked this story as merely a fable to warn travelers about the dangers of believing in mirages, this lore 
has led some to believe that this entire area is enchanted, specifically its sand and soil, both of which contain special anomalous properties. Here, there's a rare folk legend that states that Prophet Suleiman made an actual flying carpet using the sand of the Rigijin. According to the lore, during the Akamen period, the Persians used to search for and transport sand and soil from this area to the city of Kashan in order to build a large garden within it. Some of this material possessed anomalous properties, including the ability to repel gravity. Merchants accidentally learned of this when the garden's silkworms, after feeding on the soil, would eventually produce carpets that could float off the ground. According to some fables, when Suleiman learned of this, he had one made for him, which took 10 years to weave. However, when Alexander the Great invaded Persia, he became aware of this strange material, and since procuring it for himself would be difficult, he instructed his army to raise all of Kashan's garden and carpets, preventing the Persians from making the carpets again. Of course, most historians dismiss this tale as a fictional story mixed with real-life historical events, noting that a variation of it can even be found in some versions of the 1001 Arabian Nights anthology. That said, assuming that Comrade Nikolai's story is to be believed, could the creatures that had attacked them been some kind of anti-gravity technology derived from the desert's natural elements that was then somehow weaponized? As completely far-fetched as that sounds, it's almost consistent with the fringe theories that states that ancient Persia could have been home to an unbelievable technologies that had since been lost to time, and those technologies were later interpreted as supernatural by future indigenous generations. On the other hand, if it's purely supernatural, could it have been one of the many entities found in either Persian, Arab, or South Asian folklore? What do you think? And are you aware of other creatures like this in your part of the world? In the early 1900s, the French Sufi philosopher Abdel Wahid Yahya believed that he discovered a metaphysical secret that governed the entire planet and the lives of everyone on it, known as the Seven Towers of Satan, a concept that mixes contradictory elements of Abrahamic and pre-Abrahamic beliefs, folklore, and fantasy. These towers are believed to be so powerful that in 1939, the Germans were actively trying to find them. In the 21st century, Many historians are convinced that this search is ongoing, executed by powerful organizations, striving to learn their secrets. The first location pinpointed by Yahya is the Afro-Arabian country of Sudan, home to one of the oldest civilizations on the planet and a direct cousin of the ancient Egyptians. Meanwhile, the country of Niger is believed to be the second. The third location highlighted is Syria, a country where the ancient Phoenicians lived and giants are rumored to have walked. The fourth is the Eastern European country of Turkestan, existing just beyond the outer fringes of the Middle East. The fifth and the sixth are further north in Russia's mountain range and in the western part of Siberia, 
the seventh are the lands that make up ancient Mesopotamia, that being Iraq, Iran, and by extension Afghanistan. In the 21st century, fringe research organizations and think tanks have stated that this area in particular is a lightning rod for negative anomalous activity. So in this episode, we'll examine exactly what the seven towers of Satan are, specifically within Iraq, and how this fringe theory have historically influenced the perception of one of Iraq's oldest pre-Islamic communities. Our adventure begins in the mid-2000s, when a series of alleged anomalous instances in Iraq resulted in the loss of several lives. In 2005, a U.S. Army Criminal Investigations Department official was embedded within an infantry unit in the Sulaymaniyya government in Iraqi Kurdistan. Here, he was briefed about a mysterious creature attacking the locals that no one was able to identify. According to villagers, people were being hunted by a type of ghoul, which according to some traditions, is a class of jinn. This one in particular was described as being a very tall humanoid creature, with disproportionately long arms and legs. What made this case significantly disturbing was that while according to our religion and lore, jinn and ghouls tend to generally stay clear of living humans. This one in particular had a taste for human blood. Initially, the CID assumed that it was merely a crazed soldier who has gone AWOL, fatally attacking civilians due to the stress of the conflict. However, after several days of surveillance and searching, they could not find any evidence to support this theory. Meanwhile, the residents were adamant that something was indeed hunting and eating them to the point that many were afraid to leave their homes, even during the daytime. According to the author Lon Stickler, in his book Phantoms and Monsters, the case took a bizarre turn when one evening the squad leader reported hearing a shrill, unearthly scream echo through the air outside, which seemed to come out from the direction of a nearby mountain pass. Under the bright light of the full moon, when they went to investigate, some of the villagers explained that the noise was the scream of the thing that had been feeding off them. However, within feet of closing in on the source of the howling, upon entering the pass using night vision and high-intensity lights, they found nothing, not a footprint or any evidence that any animal or man was there. It was as if it had vanished into thin air. A similar instance was reported at another time, when soldiers watching the perimeter spotted a humanoid figure about 100 yards away from the camp. It had apparently appeared out of nowhere, and was just standing there. Using their equipment, they could see something vaguely human that was fully clothed, but similar to the CID incident. Its body, arms, and legs 
were bizarrely out of proportion. Of most concern to the soldiers, this being was not giving off a heat signature, being the exact temperature of the air around it. As expected, this caused a commotion amongst them, and so they sent a team to approach the entity. When they got about 50 yards away, the being started walking, but not in any direction, just in one place. According to accounts, the entity looked like it was trying to walk, but instead of moving like a regular person, its bones were breaking and splintering backwards and forward at the joints. Its head was jerking around like a puppet, and by the time the convoy got a few yards closer, it vanished. When the team headed back to camp, the anomaly reappeared in the same spot. Instead of reapproaching it a second time, the camp studied it from a distance until it disappeared after several hours. to see him. I'm so sorry. It's my fault. He was my friend. You are home, aren't you, Code Cracker Fang? So if these events really did occur, what do they have to do with the Seven Towers of Satan? Well, Another instance of an encounter with an anomalous humanoid being occurred in an area of Iraq, closely connected to a community of Kurdish Iraqis called Yazidis. We'll get back to them and their connection to all of these instances later. But first, in the summer of 2006, in an area called Sinjar, home to the Yazidi tribe, one soldier reported that around 3 a.m., his equipment was registering a person approaching them from the base of the mountain. However, this individual could not be seen with the naked eye. Even at 150 meters away, where it stopped and vanished. Similar to the earlier encounter with the distorted entity that walked without moving, this being did not give off a heat signature either. According to the lore and religion of Iraq, these three instances of humanoid-like beings appearing, disappearing, and even attacking people would be classed under the category of the aforementioned jinn or ghouls. However, while Islam speaks of jinn, secular sources such as exopolitics, which we mentioned in the previous episode, states that Iraq and its neighbor Iran are situated on top of vast energy portals that connect our reality with other dimensions attracting aliens and otherworldly creatures to the area. Now while this clearly sounds like science fiction, it's not a new concept. The turn of the 20th century French Sufi philosopher Abdel Wahid Yahya, more commonly known as René Gignon, states that there are seven locations across Africa, the Middle East and Eastern Europe that have a geographic topography that has been anonymously altered to accommodate negative energy, allowing supernatural instances to easily occur there. These seven locations are called the Seven Towers of Satan due to the negative energy generated from these areas, 
specifically, these locations are meant to be where the seven angels fell from heaven, turning their landing points evil. Of course, with an Islam of which Yahya was a convert to. The idea of angels becoming demonic is rejected in our tradition, because angels are the definition of purity, and thus cannot be corrupted. However, using this energy that is apparently generated here, Yahya states that some believe that with it, they can take possession of a singular dark force that exists in a parallel dimension, giving them power over the earth. It's been noted that in their research into occult technology, the Germans, under the direction of Heinrich Himmler, believed this and was actively searching for these locations in the 1940s. In fact, in March 2016, a collection of 13,000 occult and witchcraft books were found in the National Library of the Czech Republic in Prague belonging to him, proving the interest the Reich had in acquiring this power. Yet, how true any of the lore surrounding the actual existence of these towers is, is subject to debate. Within Adok in particular, the Yazidi people have recently been directly connected to these towers by prominent Western oculists, while for centuries before that, they've been long accused of being Satanists by other Adokis due to their alternative take on the creation story of man and their worship of a quote-unquote fallen angel. The Yazidis within Iraq have traditionally been viewed with suspicion and labeled as heretical because of their association with the worship of the peacock angel, known as Melek Tawus. In recent times, this suspicion turned extremely deadly for them as they became the targets of extremists. This is despite its scholars stating that the belief has nothing to do with the worship of fallen angels or Satan. So what's the truth concerning their belief? Well, it's kind of a gray area. In the West, this association between the Yazidi and the occult can be traced back to H.P. Lovecraft himself and his close contemporaries from the early 1900s, even though the accusations in the Middle East predate their science fiction writings. Arguably, one of the most influential Orientalists from the 20th century and known for subverting various Middle Eastern beliefs into far darker versions of themselves. It would appear that some of Lovecraft's writing have played a role in maintaining this narrative concerning the Yazidis, at least in Western occult circles. In the story The Horror at Red Hook, Lovecraft speaks specifically of the Kurdish Yazidis as the last survivors of the Persian devil worshippers. The Horror of Red Hook was first published in January 1927, nine months before the publication of William Seabrook's travel log, Adventures in Arabia, among the Bedouins and Yazidi devil worshippers. This work has become an important source for many oculists in understanding the Yazidi tradition. In this travel log, Seabrook, an oculist himself, makes the claim that the Yazidis are not only devil worshippers, but they control an extensive network of seven towers to broadcast their energy across the world. According to him, in a theory that significantly differs from Abdul Walid Yahya's research, these towers do not stretch from Niger 
to Russia, but instead from Japan to Iraq. They're located on a chain of seven isolated mountaintops across Asia. Seabrook claims that from each one of these towers, a priest would maintain these broadcasts of dark energy to the rest of the world. It should be noted that, unlike Lovecraft, who openly stated that his work is pure science fiction and should not be taken remotely seriously, Seabrook, whose writings are clearly influenced by Lovecraft, states that his version of the Seven Towers lore is true. Consequently, critics have trashed his assertions as complete nonsense, as the Kurdish Yazidi culture has zero historical and cultural connections to Japanese and Chinese heritage in the ways that he describes. According to Birgul Senegal, a lecturer of art history at the Miradin Artukulu University in Turkey and an expert on Yazidi culture, there is no evil in the Yazidi thought. These accusations of Satanism are merely the result of their significantly different take on the Abrahamic creation story. According to their belief, Lucifer did not betray God and create evil, but simply manifested himself to the world, becoming the bridge between humans and the Creator. So in conclusion, a semi-fictional narrative has grown around the Yazidi community in both the East and the West, encompassing everything from the mainstream religion to the writings and research in the works of Abdul Walid Yahya and William Seabrook, amongst others. If they're truly satanic or not, given what they say concerning their version of the creation story and how they view key figures in it, is up to you to decide. Regardless, the outstanding issue that remains concerns the existence of the Seven Tower, or more specifically, the alleged paranormal energy that is said to have at one time and maybe still be present in these locations. While there is clearly a lot of myth regarding the supernatural legacy of Iraq and some of its people, maybe within that myth, there are still kernels of truth concerning ancient Mesopotamia and the unspeakable horrors that could be hidden in its history. What do you think? What perspective do you take? Welcome to Afghanistan. This is Shari Gulgula, also known as the City of Screams. In 1221, the Mongols, led by Genghis Khan, ordered the destruction of every living being in this area, including children, Today, this archaeological site is considered by locals as one of many anomalous locations across the country where spectral apparitions and disembodied voices can be seen and heard at night. Encounters with the paranormal have been reported from both locals and foreigners in this and nearby areas for several decades, more than anywhere else in South Asia and its neighboring Middle East. Stories of modern-day encounters that go beyond rational logic have been reported across Afghanistan, from encounters with ancient giants, cryptids, and jinn, to the alleged discovery of advanced ancient technology that can manipulate time and space itself. In this episode, we're going to question what makes our South Asian neighbor home to so many unexplainable events.
There is a reason why Afghanistan is called the graveyard of empires. Even though in the 21st century, this country has more in common with South Asia than the Middle East, being culturally, linguistically and even genetically different from its Arab and Persian neighbors. It does share a history with our region since it was partially home to the lost Persian empires that were spawned from ancient Mesopotamia. With that shared history comes legends and tales of monsters and demons that not only exist in historical narratives found in old cuneiform texts, but also in real-life encounters of the 21st century. In the late 2000s, a phone call to the show Coast to Coast by a man claiming to be a U.S. pilot details a cargo he allegedly flew from Afghanistan. This cargo was the corpse of a red-headed, 12-foot human who weighed upwards of 1,500 pounds and had six fingers and toes. Apparently, this giant had attacked a small squadron of soldiers who had ventured into the mountains during one of their missions. Nine soldiers were ripped apart and eaten by this creature before being taken down. The soldier reports that it was able to run up to 40 kilometers in two footsteps and was incredibly strong. Starting a business is a risky venture, but that doesn't mean you have to go it alone. You need a formation company that will support you, not bury you deeper into financial stress. 17 years later, on the 12th of April 2017, the U.S. Air Force dropped its MOAB device that contained 2,600 pounds of explosives and had a mile-long blast radius. This device has not been used before due to concerns of the widespread collateral it could cause. However, alternative theorists say that an exception was made that day because the targets were not humans, but literal giants. And these giants allegedly possess technological secrets going back to the origins of mankind. According to the controversial Corey Good, these beings are being kept alive via stasis chambers, and that there is an active global mandate to locate these giants and their technology that were created by what he calls an ancient builder race. This race that is extraterrestrial in origin and may have not only have been wrongly interpreted by pre-Christian religions as gods, but also by modern-day Christians as fallen angels. These creatures were so technologically advanced, ancient man viewed them as supernatural. While the existence of stasis chambers has yet to be proven as real, with the only proof seen online so far discovered in nearby Kurdistan as part of an elaborate hoax, or what seemed like a hoax, Evidence of other alleged advanced technologies have also been found across South Asia and the Middle East. In both ancient Persian cuneiform texts and Indian religious writings, references to nuclear technology and its aftermath have been found. Meanwhile, Iraq is now infamously known to be home to one of more stargates, which are devices that can transport humans to other worlds and according to some, even through time. Speaking of time, back in Afghanistan, other anomalous technologies were allegedly found within its cave system. 
these claims have been taken so seriously. Even mainstream news sources from neighboring India have reported and continue to report on these discoveries. In 2012, a U.S. military expedition was sent into Afghanistan's vast cave network following an alleged discovery of an ancient flying machine trapped within what news sources call a time well, a temporal anomaly that warps the flow of time in and around itself. According to various online blogs, news sites and TV networks, the expedition was sent there to investigate the disappearances of eight of their servicemen who had made the initial find. Academics say that the machine matched the description of a Vimana, a vehicle from Hindu mythology that should not exist in reality. It is believed that the time well belonged to Zaradustra, a powerful mystic from ancient Persia who founded one of the largest and most mysterious monotheistic faiths of the ancient world, Zoroastrianism. But how does this ancient Persian belief connect to ancient Indian mythology, given that they're from cultures that are very different from each other? While some scholars state that Zoroastrianism actually originated in India, the consensus is, is that it is a Middle Eastern faith with Persian roots. This leads us to Hindu-Indian mythology and the alleged 2012 discovery of a time well in nearby Afghanistan. This anomaly that was allegedly found in a remote cave system has been described as warping the flow of time, looping a single moment of itself over and over again, indefinitely allowing for the Vivana vehicle within it to remain preserved. Whether it is a natural, supernatural, or a technological phenomenon is unclear. Scrolled on nearby walls were found, the writing that state that the rightful owner of the flying machine was the prophet Zaradustra. If indeed this discovery is genuine, and that is a big if, that would mean that this device would be between five and 6,000 years old. It has also been implied that the missing soldiers who made the initial discovery were somehow trapped within this anomaly when they tried to remove it, making their current whereabouts unknown. According to bloggers and online news outlets that covered the discovery, the time well operates along the lines of an electromagnetic radiation gravity field, something which was first postulated by Albert Einstein as the unified field theory and long rumored to be behind the 1943 World War II experiment in Philadelphia, United States, that saw a naval vessel literally phased out of time. According to accounts written in the Sanskrit text, the Mahabharata, which is an ancient Hindu book, the Vimana flying machines themselves are a type of meta-upa, out-of-place artifact, since they describe advanced ancient technology that closely resembles real-world modern technology. In these ancient Sanskrit books, the Vimana is illustrated as measuring at 12 cubits in circumference with four solid wheels. These machines also have defensive and offensive mechanisms incorporated into them, essentially making them weapons. In the ancient writings of the Vimanika Sastra, a Sanskrit book on aerospace technology written in 1923, the author makes a claim that the Vimanas mentioned in ancient epics, like the Mahabharata, were advanced aerodynamic flying vehicles similar to a rocket capable of interplanetary flight. He states that it's an apparatus which can go by its own force from one place to place or globe to globe. According to Professor Dilip Kumar Kanjilal, 
a leading expert on the Vimanas, he states that some of those crafts were city-sized, capable of holding unlimited numbers of people. There were three flying cities made for and were used by the demons. One was in a stationary orbit in the sky, another moving in the sky, and one was permanently stationed on the ground. These were docked like modern spaceships in the sky and at a fixed latitude and longitude. Most interestingly is his use of the term demons used to describe the pilots. In 2000... U.S. Marines stationed in Helmand Province could not explain a series of anomalous events that plagued their mission. Strange lights at night, disembodied whispers, the sudden drafts of ice-cold air during the middle of summer, an occasional smell of rotting flesh with no specific origin would plague the men. Akin to the reported occurrences of similar anomalies in Shahr-e-Gulgula, where the Mongol Empire had laid to waste the lives of scores of people in the 13th century. Could another paranormal imprint that appears to be related to a large-scale tragic event be manifesting in Helmet Province? According to the New York Times, in the late 2000s, the men stationed here discovered small tunnels dug into its base that led to a single chamber that appeared to be a fort or tomb the tunnels were eventually destroyed to prevent insurgents from using the area as a hideout, but in the months and years that passed, buried human bones were discovered across the area. While it's natural to assume that these remains were that of insurgents, it soon became clear that they were at least decades old, and in some cases centuries. Speaking to the newspaper, a local scholar explained that the hill had originally been the 18th century fort, but eventually ethnic Pashtuns saw it and other structures like it in the area as spiritual sites, and so over time, they eventually transformed them into burial areas. Archaeologists and historians believe that it was last likely used as a graveyard around 1980 at the start of the Soviet-Afghan conflict. During this time, Nasima Khuntada, a Pashtun warlord who operated in Helmand province, surrounded, captured and surrounded roughly 40 Afghan communist police officers near the area. Akin to the Shar-e-Gulgula phenomena, could a possible cause of the modern-day anomalies be due to a huge loss of life? In 1982, Soviet forces suffered a devastating blow in the area that resulted in many of them not returning home to their families. According to local residents, elements of the battle were anomalous in nature, specifically when the Soviet armored columns approached the Amir Aga shrine, the tanks became stuck in the mud, which in itself is nothing too weird, but whenever they attempted to detonate any type of device, their equipment would fail with eyewitnesses even testifying to seeing several armored vehicles collapsing or sinking into the earth and completely vanishing. Therefore, it would appear that whatever paranormal phenomena was occurring in the area, it was not the result of ghosts. On a side point, being an Islamic country, the concept of ghosts are considered as fantasy, 
Instead of ghosts, we believe in jinn, and some scholars believe that jinn are attracted to the remains of the dead, and may frequent locations such as graveyards because of this. Speaking to the New York Times, Jose Herrera, one of the marines that had spent time there in 2009, witnessed mysterious lights, heard strange static on the radio, and much like several other marines who had spent time there, he felt that someone or something invisible was watching them. On another occasion, an embedded foreign journalist complained about a sudden temperature fluctuations from hot to freezing cold that went beyond scientific explanation. This was in addition to also witnessing strange lights and hearing phantom voices in the night, some of which were so clear witnesses identified them as Russian. So what could be the source of all these anomalous occurrences taking place in a single area? If we're to dismiss any supernatural explanation, such as the influence of spirits, then could these strange accounts be scientific in origin and linked to any of the advanced ancient technology allegedly found in the region, including what we've already mentioned in this episode? In a paper written in the early 2000s, Dr. Michael Sala from the Exopolitics Organization proposed a hypothesis that the entire nation of Afghanistan is directly positioned above a vast energy portal, attracting otherworldly visitors to the region. What exactly the scientific nature of this energy portal he speaks of is unclear, with some proponents of the theory labeling it as a quote-unquote psychic. Regardless, it does explain why its neighbors in the Middle East, specifically Iran and Iraq, and even nearby Kuwait, have been witness to high amounts of unexplainable anomalies while the rest of the GCC and nearby Asia experience very little supernatural phenomena in comparison. Could all of the unexplainable instances witnessed in the northern parts of the Gulf and in Afghanistan truly be the result of advanced or alien technology that is merely misinterpreted or supernatural? Or is there something truly paranormal at play? In the next two episodes, We'll take a very dark journey into nearby Iraq to continue this investigation. In addition to how its Levantine neighbor of Lebanon dealt with a high-profile paranormal anomaly that became so prominent, the Catholic Church as well as the government had to take direct action. Make sure you're subscribed. Leave your opinion. Entities. The researcher Audi Mikoski describes a parallel reality that exists alongside ours that is home to parasitic entities that feed off human minds. The Gnostics believed that the Archons, who once controlled our entire planet as cosmic rulers, now work on a smaller but equally destructive scale. They attach themselves to people who have a primarily negative outlook on life, whispering in their ears, draining us of our energy, and clouding and altering our perception of reality. These creatures jump from person to person and feed for relatively short periods and mainly come together in location-specific places like malls, airports and museums. Across the Middle East and North Africa, there are a handful of location-specific anomalies that defy scientific explanation. For example, Deep within Morocco's Atlas mountain range, there is a small area no larger than several square feet where all sound ceases to exist 
with hikers and guides alike reportedly unable to hear anything, including themselves. This anomaly on Jebel Yagur is understood to be intermittent, shifting position, so its location is impossible to pinpoint. A larger location-specific phenomenon has been reported by multiple eyewitnesses in the Bakirakoy district in Istanbul, Turkey. According to local news reports, one of its oldest villas would literally vanish off the face of the earth for a second once a year to spontaneously reappear again. However, one of the largest location-based anomalies that boasts an estimated range of 125 kilometers can be found in the heart of the Levant, nicknamed the Jerusalem Syndrome. This mind-altering anomaly typically impacts travelers to the city, where upon arrival, they would undergo an extreme personality change, developing religiously-themed psychosis until they We have mostly dismissed it as an unusual type of religious mass hysteria, but none of them have dug deeper into the origins of the phenomenon and connected it to the manuscripts found in the Nahamadi library. Could apocryphal Gnostic texts concerning ancient Palestine prove that type of Lovecraftian horror is deliberately infecting the minds of 21st century visitors? Back in 2020, the YouTube channel Scare Theater brought to the paranormal community's attention the psychological phenomenon known as the Jerusalem Syndrome. Comparing it to mental afflictions typically found in the SCP wiki, this wiki is a compendium of user-generated stories detailing fictional paranormal anomalies and events. The wiki itself is not important to this episode, but a concept within it is. Some of its anomalies are psychological in origin and come under the umbrella term of cognito hazards, meaning hazards that can impact the cognition and perception of an individual or entire population, typically through supernatural means. It is fun over the top science fiction and should not be taken seriously. However, the Jerusalem syndrome is a real life cognito hazard that, like its fictional counterparts, rewrites a person's perception of reality 
For each person, this impacts the process of cognitive decline is creepily uniformed, occurring in the exact same manner regardless of the individual's race, social class, education, and background. According to psychologists, many of those afflicted are suddenly convinced that they are biblical personalities who are sent to the city on a divine mission. Dr. Yer Barel, the head of the Kfar Shal Mental Health Center, states that the first stage of cognitive loss typically begins within three hours of arriving in the city. Initially, the subject will go through a period of intense psychological distress where they are plagued by a sudden wave of irrational thoughts, sensing that something is wrong. They begin to question the nature of their reality, wondering if they may actually be from the past, displaced from biblical times, and if so, why? This would usually be followed by an urge to isolate themselves and explore the city alone. According to Barel, in advanced cases of cognitive decline, the subject would begin wearing a white gown and start singing or shouting religious scripture or songs. In the final stage, they might be compelled to journey to a holy landmark where they would deliver a sermon, usually completely nonsensical in nature. However, when the individual leaves the city, he or she would regain complete mental composure. When later questioned about their psychosis, all subjects remember the details of their experience, while also expressing strong embarrassment about it, meaning they are completely aware of how bizarre and out of character they were behaving, indicating that whatever they went through was completely involuntary. Most disturbingly, some say that they felt something opening up within them, compelling them to behave this way. Even though Jerusalem Syndrome is not listed as a recognized condition in the DSMMD, research conducted at Kfar Shal Mental Health Center revealed that at least 1,200 people had been struck down by the syndrome between 1980 and 1993. And as the year 2000 approached, this figure increased significantly. The BBC states, at the turn of the millennium, doctors from Israel's Kfar Shal Mental Health Center reported seeing around 100 tourists a year with the syndrome, 40 of whom were hospitalized. These were Christians, Jews, and even Muslims. It was estimated that as many as 50 people a week would require hospitalization a dramatic increase from the average of 20 per year. Although the vast majority of videos and articles state that this phenomenon was first diagnosed during the 1930s, psychologists have been recording instances of the anomaly since the 18th century. In late 2017, one of the most high-profile instances of Jerusalem Syndrome made international headlines when the 29-year-old British tourist Oliver McAfee went missing. Your favorite so
Oliver spent three weeks touring the country on his bike without incidents. Beginning in the West Bank, he traveled north to Galilee and the Golan Heights before making his way down to Jerusalem. However, it appears that something may have happened to him after he entered the city because his behavior appeared erratic after he left, traveling into the Negev Desert, where he vanished. Oliver's camera was later found in the desert with his backpack. Some pictures were of mundane shots, while others were of biblical phrases written on his hands. Police also found notebooks filled with strange writings about God, as well as his desire to throw away all of his food and personal items. Some of his belongings were even found in the middle of things that looked like altars. His last photo was taken at Zihor Junction, one hour north of the city of Elat, not too far from a military checkpoint. It was later revealed that officers had encountered a man who was either drunk or very mentally ill matched the general description of Oliver. However, instead of helping, they merely warned him to stay away from the base, whereupon he fled back into the desert, never to be seen again. Now, watching this episode, you will logically conclude that Oliver and all other instances of Jerusalem Syndrome must have occurred in people who were already mentally ill. However, according to Oliver's family, he did not have any prior psychological problems. He was a very level-headed individual who, prior to entering the country, was engaged in aid work in Mexico. Like Oliver, many other people who have exhibited the sickness also had no history of mental illness. In fact, Professor Eliezer Whitson, one of the leading experts of the phenomenon, notes that while 82% of those diagnosed had a distinct history of psychiatric problems, the remaining 18% of cases had no history at all, meaning that a significant number of perfectly healthy individuals, regardless of their mental health, had developed the syndrome. Occam's razor would say regardless of prior or current mental health, Jerusalem syndrome is ultimately just hysteria, something buried in all of us who have a love for the holy lands. However, one obscure French theory points to an ancient horror that might be using this hysteria as a disguise to cause havoc in the 21st century. And this is where this episode gets weird, I mean, weirder. This theory references apocryphal biblical verses found in the book, The Apocalypse of James. In it, there are verses that states that Jesus warned the disciple to flee Jerusalem, saying, Fear not, James, you too will they seize, but leave Jerusalem, for it is she who always gives the cup of bitterness to the sons of light. She is a dwelling place of a great number, of Archons. In Gnosticism, the Archons were malevolent ancient cosmic beings who once controlled the Earth, as well as many of the thoughts, feelings, and actions of humans. Therefore, this verse has been interpreted by a few as evidence that they once and still have a limited influence over visitors to the city of Jerusalem. 
for those unfamiliar with the Apocalypse of James. This is the oldest known copy of a text claiming to be Jesus teaching to his brother James. Found in the late 19th century, these rare manuscripts were initially discovered in a trash dump in the Egyptian town of Axirinches, scattered among piles of 5th century papyrus. In the first apocalypse of James, Jesus reveals that the world is guarded by these demonic archons. The origin of the word archon is actually a Greek term for ruler, implying that the mythology surrounding these creatures was more symbolic in origin, pertaining to social and political governance. However, if we decide to interpret them literally, then that will take us into the realm of the supernatural. In classical Gnostic writings, Archons function as psycho-spiritual parasites. According to the filmmaker Jay Waitner from the Gaia organization, the Gnostics believed that the Archons, who once controlled our entire planet as cosmic rulers, they attach themselves to people who have a primarily negative outlook on life, whispering in their ears, draining us of our energy, and clouding and altering our perception of reality. Waitner says that the Archons thrive on fear, sadness, anger, confusion, and stress. And this is all being delivered through the mass media. In Islam, we have a similar concept called waswas, which is very loosely defined as whisperings of a supernatural origin. The symptoms sometimes manifest as obsessive-compulsive thoughts that, although not serious in itself, can lead to more chronic mental conditions similar to what Wagner has outlined. Now, while Islam states that this is merely a natural part of being human and can be dealt with via both spiritual and psychiatric means, others take the threat to its most literal extreme. For example, the researcher Howdy Mikoski describes a parallel reality that exists alongside ours that is home to parasitic entities that feed off human minds. According to Mikoski, these creatures jump from person to person and feed for relatively short periods and mainly come together in location-specific places like malls, airports, <coughs> and museums. So you can see why a comparison has been made between this theory and the Jerusalem Archon Hypothesis. On a side note, similar location psychological anomalies have also been recorded in Florence, Italy, as well as in Paris, the latter of which primarily affects Japanese visitors. Jay Waitner states that information about these beings were lost after the destruction of the Library of Alexandria, and what little was left was suppressed until the discovery of the Nalhamadi Library in Egypt in 1947. Within this library, learn much about Gnosticism, where according to Widener, the Gnostics preached about the planetary invasion by the Archons that occurred around 3600 BC. This incursion has been labeled as the Kurgan invasion, where these beings entered our world via a dimensional rift in the Caucasus and from here spread through parts of Neolithic Europe ancient Iran and, of course, the Levant. This invasion was like a mental virus 
a cognito hazard that infected the human mind and has so far taken place three times over the past several millennia. The mode of operation of these beings is to completely warp our perception of reality to the point that we cannot separate the real from the fiction, filling our thoughts with overwhelmingly negative impulses and attitudes. This is why a comparison was recently drawn between these invasions and the verse where Jesus allegedly spoke about an evil supernatural force in Jerusalem and the modern-day Jerusalem syndrome. Now, the evidence for this is questionable at best. But those who truly believe in this theory draw a correlation between these invasions and other major historical events, where large groups of ordinary people have become irrationally violent. They state that the third and final invasion of the Archons took place in 1996 in Rwanda, Central Africa, during a time where one of the most gruesomely horrific events in the modern era ever took place. In conclusion, while the concept of an all-powerful alien race invading our dimension and entering our minds is far-fetched, throughout history and across many cultures, demons or jinn have traditionally been seen as either the causes of mental illness or beings that can dangerously influence our thoughts. While psychiatric breakthroughs since then has invalidated much of these theories, every so often a phenomenon would occur that goes slightly beyond all scientific explanation. But what do you think? Is this just hysteria or the tip accepted view in mainstream archaeology that civilization started in ancient Mesopotamia. The sophisticated ancient origins of this area has led to the speculation for why this part of the world was potentially thousands of years more advanced than the rest of humanity. Fringe theorists like Michael Sala from the Exopolitics Organization theorize that Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan are located in and around a vast geographical anomaly that spans hundreds of miles covering much of the northern part of the Gulf and parts of South Asia. This anomaly manifests as an invisible energy portal that not only attracts global political powers to the area, wishing to seize control of it, but also extraterrestrials and possibly interdimensional threats as well. Although this is obviously a very fringe perspective, an official government source, namely cousin Finjon Al-Hamomi, Arak's Minister of Transport at that time, pretty much confirmed 
the anomalous nature of the area by proudly stating in the 2016 press conference that he believes that his country in particular served as an ancient Sumerian spaceport, allowing travel to the outer edges of our solar system. Although he references the work of the famed yet problematic Zakaria Stitchin as a source, he implies that it was ancient humans and not extraterrestrials who were responsible for the region's early technological advancement. Although some quarters of the regional media ridiculed Fenjon for his statements, it cannot be denied that Arak and the neighboring country of Iran remains home to some of the greatest archaeological mysteries on the planet. For example, in 1919, the archaeologist Harry Reginald Hall made the unusual discovery in Tel Al-Obeid, Arak, when he unearthed several 7,000-year-old Obeidian artifacts, which appeared to represent humanoid figures with reptilian features. Most of these figurines appeared to be wearing a helmet and have some kind of padding on their shoulders. According to archaeologists, even though these statues were not likely to be ritualistic in nature, they still appeared to have been important to the Ubadian people. As with many ancient cultures, the serpent was a major symbol used to represent a number of gods, most notably the Sumerian god Enki, and later as the symbol for the brotherhood of the snake, a supposed ancient secret society that in the modern times has been linked to a wide variety of myths and theories, including extraterrestrials controlling human affairs. In the 21st century, Brotherhood of the Snake is allegedly a group of wealthy and powerful individuals, and is so ancient all other powerful secret organizations that have existed, currently exist, and are to come into existence, would be able to trace their origins to this brotherhood. The Ubadian culture dates back to between 4000 and 5500 BC. As with the Sumerians, the origins of the Ubadian people is unknown. Tel Al-Obeid itself is literally a short hour drive away from Zikar. The location, the former minister of transport, Kazem Finjon says the ancient Sumerians used as a jump of point to travel to other planets. This connects to the Ubadian discovery via a popular hypothesis that states that the figurines discovered there are one of the few representations of the original Brotherhood founders, or entities connected to the Brotherhood, and that these entities are not from this earth, hence their serpent-like appearance. Numerous ancient cultures throughout the world worship the serpent. In the Gnostic text called the Origin of the World, that was originally found in the Nal Hamedi Library in Egypt in 1945. An alternative to the creation story detailed in the Bible is presented, where a powerful serpent-type angels were created at the beginning of time. According to the author Philip Gardner, our planet has a history far darker than we can possibly imagine, and that there was a global religion that worshipped a type of snake god. Evidence of this ancient religion can be found in the ancient deities of Suakwatsiti and Suakwatil from Mexico and Peru to India's Naga King Chula. Closer to home, we have Wajit, the snake goddess of Egypt, 
who was one of the earliest Egyptian deities. According to mythology, she often appeared in the form of a cobra. She was first worshipped in the pre-dynastic period as the goddess of Lower Egypt, and then eventually the entire civilization, where she became the protector of all the kings of Egypt. Writing for Medium.com, Nedulku Alina states that the Brotherhood of the Snake ruled the country as puppet rulers, while wielding real power behind the scenes. They used this power to advance and build the Egyptian empire into a warrior nation, with a powerful military that aggressively conquered distant lands. At this time, they went under the name of Shemsuhur, or Followers of Horus, where at this time, according to Alina, they were semi-divine kings, powerful anomalous beings who had the goal of helping humanity reach its fullest potential. However, something went terribly wrong, as they soon shifted their goals from helping humanity to enslaving it. What caused this shift is unclear, and many theories have been offered that are consistent with the idea that these ancient beings had an internal conflict, causing them to turn against humans. These theories vary depending on the belief system that one subscribes to. For some Judeo-Christian groups, these powerful beings may have once been biblical angels who were charged with protecting humans, but were then banished from heaven, becoming demonic in the process. For others, this brotherhood were ancient gods, who, consistent with Greek, Roman, and Egyptian mythology, had human-type temperaments, so were subject to the same emotional thought processes as us leading to disagreements amongst themselves concerning the future of humanity and how it should evolve. And of course, there is the theory that the Brotherhood were alien in origin, and that disagreement amongst themselves was expressed via a type of cosmic civil war that was partly raged on Earth. Although all these theories can be viewed as a variation of the same tale, told through three different lenses. The extraterrestrial version appears to have mainly been popularized in William Bramley's 1989 book, The Gods of Eden. He believes this ancient brotherhood is formed of aliens who have been on Earth since the dawn of civilization, experimenting and treating humans as little more than livestock. These experimentations were responsible for creating different chimera that fuses human and alien DNA. Over the decades, this theory has evolved into a hypothesis that states that people with Rh-negative blood types could be part alien or part reptile in origin. Most individuals who have the Rh blood type are Rh-positive. However, those with Rh-negative are prone to suffer from various health problems. Some fringe theorists have drawn a link that suggests that Rh-negative blood must be of a non-human origin. These theories range from the supernatural to the pseudo-scientific, with some saying that this blood type exists due to interbreeding with extraterrestrials and creating human-reptile chimeras. However, the majority of scientists who have studied the blood type 
have concluded that it is most likely a random mutation, taking us to an unfortunate and incredibly tragic incident in 2021. In September 2021, a young father called Matthew Coleman was charged in connection with the deaths of his two-year-old son and ten-month-old daughter. Authorities said that he confessed to the FBI that he used a spear phishing device to hug. A criminal complaint alleges that he told the FBI that he believed that they were going to grow into monsters and that his wife had passed down her serpent DNA to their children. The prevailing theory regarding the Brotherhood that Coleman seems to allude to concerns a conspiracy that their alien-human hybrids would continue to proliferate as part of a planned takeover of the Earth. According to theorists, this plan is currently being executed over a period of thousands of years and is done by both infiltrating other secret societies and mystery schools, as well as mainstream industries. From a strictly modern Middle Eastern perspective, this concept of a reptilian race hiding in plain sight would likely be considered as absurd by both theologians and mainstream scholars. However, this does not mean that such an anomalous species could not theoretically exist within the faith. For example, according to the Sufi scholar Sheikh Nurjahid <laughs> these beings are a class of jinn, but they do not exist in our reality as independent spiritual entities, but via the jinn position of humans. These humans are in <coughs> positions of power, and it is from that position they can craft whatever story about their origins and goals, be it natural or supernatural. However, there are multiple fringe perspectives that clashes with each other concerning the Brotherhood's agenda, one of which questions if the society was ever evil to begin with, and if it could still be benevolent today. For example, the Ancient Astronauts Archive YouTube channel examines this perspective in considerable detail, concluding that the snake and serpent iconography only became perceived as evil due to the prevailing influence of the Abrahamic faiths on both the Eastern and Western worlds over the past several hundred years. Prior to that, for tens of thousands of years, Reptilian creatures were perceived somewhat differently, viewed with honor. While some may say that in the modern age, this fact is irrelevant due to what the serpent has now come to represent, we should note that even in the 21st century, there are still ancient religious groups that run parallel to the Abrahamic faith itself, that hold the serpent in high regard. Within the Middle Eastern Yazidi theology, the snake is not considered as necessarily evil. Although many of the Yazidi people in the region have become Arabized and have religious practices that are adjacent to Islam and Judaism, due to being primarily based in the Levant and Iraq, Yazidism considers the snake as a holy creature. According to Peter Nicholas, in his paper The Serpent Symbolism in the Yazidi Religious Tradition, the snake is not considered as a purely evil symbol, 
even when filtered through the different Abrahamic traditions. Although, as with Christianity, there is also a negative perception of snakes in Islam due to their venomous nature and the deceitful role it played in the Garden of Eden. Scholars say that to consider this animal as fundamentally evil is wrong. Its natural ability to cause harm should be considered in a manner similar to that of a lion or a tiger. Just because a bite can kill, that in itself does not make it evil. For the sake of further objectivity, we cannot end this episode without pointing out key counter-arguments concerning the very existence of the Brotherhood itself. Skeptics have been quick to know that there is no solid evidence that they existed as part of an ancient global religion. The fact that ancient cultures around the world all worshipped snake deities may just be a reflection of the human psyche and how we are fascinated with the reptilian species to the point of worshipping Although other secretive and powerful mystery schools that are hundreds and thousands of years old have been confirmed to exist, historians can chart most of their origins back to the medieval period and earlier. From here, some of these societies can even be traced back to the Roman Empire and from there to ancient Persia. However, since the Brotherhood allegedly predates all ancient societies, skeptics say to go back further than this requires a generous amount of speculation. So, in conclusion, does or did this brotherhood ever exist? Is it extraterrestrial or not? Is it evil or not? This topic is way bigger and more complex than we can fit into one video. And so far we have barely scratched the surface, but for further context, check our earlier episode on the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. One thing we do know for sure is that mystery schools can spend thousands of years, as we have shown in our earlier episodes, regarding a vast all-encompassing threat concerning Mithraism and the occult origins of the real Assassin's Creed. And this could be the case with the Brotherhood of the Snake, if indeed they exist. But what do you think?